You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages David Burnham presented on The Will of God at MBI Spiritual Emphasis Week 1976. David Burnham was a senior pastor for 30 years and was a pastor and teacher with RBC Ministries on their television and radio programs. Now, here is David Burnham on Today in the Word radio. I am privileged to be here to share in the ministry of the Word of God. And in these mornings that we have together, I trust that you will have your Bible and that you'll bring a notebook with you that we can share together in what God would teach our hearts concerning the will of God. When I come to a place like Moody Bible Institute, I'm reminded of how much I enjoy going to certain places and enjoy certain things. I really enjoy going to candy shops. I love the smell of chocolate as it's being placed over succulent caramel. When you walk into the shop on a cold day and you can smell the caramel and you can also smell the aroma of the chocolate and you watch them dip it and it oozes over the side and kind of lays there on the patty and you see him scrape it up and I, I love chocolate. My wife, my wife would rather have me bring home some fudge than to bring home flowers. And one day as we were walking on the boardwalk in Ocean City, it reminded me of a particular thing. Because there in the boardwalk, if you've ever been there, they have these tremendous fudge shops. You can go along there and you can just smell the aroma coming out of those fudge shops. And there's one particular one that they have these huge vats, these copper kettles. And there they work the fudge right in your sight. I mean, you can look right in there, you can smell it, you watch him as he beats that a dark chocolate and you watch him pour in those walnuts and he mixes it all up and your tongue is just all over that uh, area looking at it. Then they take that when it's still warm and they pour it out and it just oozes across a marble table and they work it back and forth until finally they have it in a location they start cutting it. Well, you notice in particular that this vat, this iron kettle, still has some fudge in it. And they tell the story about the time the man came and he saw that and that right at the very top he could still see the heat coming off of that warm chocolate fudge. And he just had enough room to reach over there and just get a little bit of that fudge and it was just marvelous. Well, he could see down below that they'd left a little bit more with some nuts in it. So he reached over a little bit further and he got that. And then he went a little further and he fell into the thing. <laughs> and the last thing they heard him say was, Oh God, give me a tongue equal to this opportunity. <laughs> I would like to have a tongue equal to the opportunity that we have in these mornings to know that warm, wonderful, powerful, adventurous Word of God. It warms our hearts. It's an adventure to our minds. It gives direction to our life. May we study it. May we enjoy it. The Will of God. Romans chapter 12. 
I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable spiritual worship service unto God. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will. So much has been written on it, much has been said, how often we use it, how often we seek for the will of God. God's will. I rarely read articles from a newspaper, but here is one from our paper written by a national columnist, Ann Landers, to a letter that came to her. Dear Ann, God bless you for your reply to the young man who was despondent over his homosexuality. I spent 14 years of my life, I'm 30 now, trying to accept my homosexuality. I was the son of a small-town businessman and scared to death to admit to myself or anyone else that I was gay. Finally, I met a man I wanted to settle down with. Although we hid our relationship from all but a small circle of friends, we had a wonderful life and we were very happy together. When he left me, I felt as if my whole world had fallen apart. I was brought up in a Christian home and heard so much about the sinfulness of homosexuality that I stopped going to church. Fortunately, I met a kind and understanding clergyman who spent many hours helping me see that God loves all his children, gay, straight, whatever. Since all else failed, I took his advice and I gave God a chance. And it was the best decision I ever made. I prayed, Lord, I am gay and I don't think I can change. Please take control of my life. Thy will be done. When you would read this type of an article, immediately we're drawn to the reality of the day in which we live. We're drawn to the tremendous struggle that is going on in the hearts and minds of many people as they seek identity as to who they are as a man or as a woman, to know their personhood. Our hearts cry out knowing that in a sinful world man has lost his reference point and mankind is seeking for identity. In a world that cries out in nausea in its existentialism, it is trying to find some type of meaning in life. One of the evidences of a society that has lost its reference point is its over-encumbrance with the identity crisis. No greater identity crisis than that of the homosexual. And out of a cry, there comes this prayer, O God, thy will be done. If this were the end of the article, there would be much that would demand our sympathy, our prayers, our sensitivity. For there are those in this world today that we must recognize that sin has polluted mankind. Not only has it polluted our morals, it has polluted our appetites, it has polluted our very beings in such a way that our external appearances are also 
perverted from God's intended purpose. A sensitivity must be given today. But notice these continuing words. Soon after I prayed, I felt serene and at peace. A month later, I met another man with whom I planned to spend the rest of my life. I also found the courage to tell my parents. They accepted it beautifully. I don't recommend to all gays that they tell their parents, but I do urge them to go directly to God, as I did. I have never felt so fulfilled and contented. Life is beautiful. Your friend, dear friend, thank you for sharing your experience. And now a word to all who read the Bible faithfully. Please don't tell me to look up Genesis 19, Romans chapter 1, Leviticus 18:22, our 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, etc. Help is where you find it. An amazing prayer. If the prayer had been a cry, God, I am gay, I cannot control my appetites, God, may your will be done in my life. And the answer that this man received from the will of God that he declares is beautiful is to continue in a beautiful homosexual relationship. It is opposed to the will of God. Or is it opposed to the will of God? Didn't he pray, God, thy will be done. And God gave him a beautiful homosexual relationship. And he said, thank you, God, for your will in my life. What is the will of God? Well, you say it's certainly not that. How do you know? What is the will of God? Is it simply circumstances where someone comes into our life? That's how this man replied. Is the will of God something we can know? The will of God by many is nothing more than something of fantasy. The will of God is our environment. It provides something that our culture has given to us as a form of behavior modification. The will of God is nothing more than an accident that we dream about because we live in a world without design, without function. We live in a world of accident. And we are living on a huge roulette wheel, then somehow in the spinning of that evolutionary process, in the multiplication of chance, you might have something happen to you, but it's nothing more than to think of some ultimate will as fantasy. There are others who feel that the will of God is nothing more than fatalism. It is that which Hodge describes as necessity. They see the whole world as being run by some blind force. There's no mercy, there's no grace, there's no love, there is no goodness. There is simply that blind force of fatalism. Others think of the will of God as that of a feeling. It's an impression that you have. It's a dream that you have. Somehow I'll meet the man of my dreams. I'll experience something that will fulfill the impressions that I have. Just recently, one of the seersayers talked about the falling down of a huge mall's roof. 
She said later that she did not say this. Others say you did say this. And then there are those who say whether she said it or not, I have the impression that a huge mall's roof is going to fall between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I dare wouldn't go into there. The will of God would not permit it. Is the will of God just a feeling? Norman Wright describes love that way, as some people describe love as a feeling you feel you're going to feel that you never felt before. The Word of God, however, presents the will of God as a fact. Again, Hodge describes it as a certainty. The will of God is a fact. And here the Apostle Paul, writing to a body of believers in a systematic approach, he has spoken of the righteousness of God revealed in principle, the righteousness of God that is revealed in a people, and he will conclude this book with the righteousness of God revealed in practicality, in practice. And the righteousness of God that is revealed in principle states the reality of sin. It demands the redemption that is provided by God through his son, Jesus Christ. He speaks about the release and the freedom that we have as a result of our relationship in Christ. And he says it's illustrated in God's people, Israel. And now because of who you are in Jesus Christ, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, that you not only present your bodies, but in worshipful service, buy up the time in which you live. Regardless of the difficult times, as Philip said, we are to be conscious of making available use of our opportunities and our talents as God has given them to us. Because we are to know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? What is this will of God? The will of God. Primarily, I would like for us to see what is it and can we know it. And then we'll go into some living illustrations of how we can apply, how we can estimate but it is not just a question of knowing the will of God. The emphasis that I want to make is doing the will of God. For in the study of the words themselves, we primarily have that which speaks about the desire of God and the decree of God. In that word, thalo, thalen, you come to that descriptive phrase that speaks about God who gives to man a norm, a source, an ultimate reference. And the will of God primarily is that plan of God that occurs. It is that plan of God that is given evidence by occurrence. It is not just a thought. It demands an action. Just as we will study the will of God, it is more than investigating and learning books about the will of God. The concept of the will of God demands an occurrence. For in God's concept of that word, it demands an action. He is the ultimate basis, the ultimate source. And the study of the word itself gives to us that will of God is that which he desires and that which he decrees. In the will of God, we will also observe 
the counsel of God. That counsel that does not come from any outside source other than himself. He is the source of that counsel. He is the author of that counsel. And the concept of that counsel is based on the character of our God. If he is a God who is holy, if he is a God who is merciful, if he is a God who is true, then his counsel and his plan, his will, will reflect his character. And it's vital when we speak about the will of God that we do not turn to the recommendation of Ann Landers that help is where you find it. Help about the will of God is found in the word of God. God has revealed himself to us through his word. This man spoke about something beautiful, but he has described it by current terms. God said, that which man calls beautiful is ugly. Why would God say that? Because God speaks about something that is good, something that is acceptable, and something that is perfect. Ephesians chapter 1. This morning it's going to take us a while to just dig our foundations. I am used to being a pastor, so you keep preaching in series. And I don't like to hurry, and I'm primarily concerned today about giving to you a foundation. Maybe I'll be able to use an overhead here one morning. I'd like to show you some of the outline uh, concepts of this that you can write them down. I want you to study, but I also want us to be able to apply in the Word of God these concepts to our heart. Ephesians chapter 1. Here the Apostle Paul, writing this great treatise, says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God the determined will of God, that will of God that was decreed. The Apostle Paul was not brought to Christ by accident. The Apostle Paul was not brought to Christ simply because he had some kind of impression. The Apostle Paul was not a servant of the living God and an ambassador and a messenger simply because it is a fictional tale. The Apostle Paul said we have not followed cunningly devised fables as he represented the apostles in their message of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul was more than just a man who was a product of his culture. He had broken from his culture in the concept of his accepting the Messiah, Jesus Christ his Savior. And the Apostle Paul was not a man to simply operate upon his feelings. He had based his life upon a fact that Jesus Christ had arisen from the dead. He had appeared to him on the road to Damascus and that Jesus Christ was Lord. Our belief in Jesus Christ is not a feeling. It's not a fantasy. It's not a fatalism. It is based upon a fact that God provided through Jesus Christ man's redemption, God's sovereign plan, with man's responsible action, those two in balance, and they're never out of balance. And within that concept, the apostle Paul says, I have been chosen by God, determined by God, an apostle. To the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you, peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, within our concept of the will of God, determined will of God, that will of God that is in Christ Jesus, that will of God that is according to his good pleasure. Verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. This plan of God comes out of the character of God. Therefore, whenever you're going to look at the will of God, whenever you teach the will of God, we must surround it with the character of God. It is not to be surrounded by how I feel or some temporary need. It is surrounded by our concept of God according to his good pleasure. For this is going to be able to give that which gives basis to our lives. Verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, unto the praise of the glory that provides the goal for the believer's life. Why does God work his will? That in Christ Jesus, according to his good pleasure, that we might be unto the praise of his glory. God wants us to glorify him. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God does not mean the loss of personality, does not mean the loss of your intellect, it does not mean the loss of your creativity, your initiative, but to the glory of God means that whatsoever I eat, whatsoever I drink, God receives the glory and not the dishonor. God wants us to know the greatest adventure that man can know. We were created to know him and in knowing him that we might glorify him and enjoy him. The will of God in Christ Jesus according to his good pleasure unto the praise of his glory. And the summary of those various forms and descriptions of the will of God in Ephesians 1 Describe to us an ultimate basis and a reference that is focusing the will of God for each of our lives. It is based on the character of God. What is the will of God? It is God's plan. It is God's plan. It is that plan by the counsel of God that occurs, that will bring praise to the very name and character of God. And I know it. Yes, we can know it. But I want us to know it in some terms that we might understand. Back to Romans 12. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, on the basis of God's mercy, that we present our bodies living sacrifices. Not conformed to this world, but transformed. By the renewing of our mind, God will give spiritual insight. By the renewed mind, 
That is why columnists, therapists, intellectuals of the day can know the scriptures and totally ignore them. I have sat in graduate courses as well as some of you, and you have heard men that are well-versed in the Bible content. They know the original languages. They know the verses. But they are absolutely ignorant as it comes to the application and the understanding, the comprehending of what they mean. The Word of God speaks of spiritual insight. It's given to every believer in Jesus Christ. And he says that we are to know by the renewing of our minds these things concerning the will of God. What is that good? What is that acceptable and perfect will of God? Most books and articles have chosen to take the last descriptive form to write about the will of God. And so we continually hear about the perfect will of God. What is God's perfect will? Am I in God's will? Am I out of God's will? So often I meet people that say, well, I, I missed it there. I'm out of God's will. Or I meet someone else who comes to me, and one was a student from Moody. He said, you know, I've been uh, watching this particular girl, and I believe she's God's mate for my life. I believe it's God's will. I said, well, you've got good taste. I know who she is. She's a lovely girl. Uh, how does she think about that? Well, she doesn't know it. But I really believe she's God's mate for my life. For two years, this young man carried that impression and for two years, this girl was dating and becoming engaged to another man and married him. And the student came to me and said, I must have missed her because I was out of God's will, or she was out of God's will. That must be what it was. She was out of God's will. Is that right? But he said, I want God's perfect will for my life. Can I have it now that she's disobeyed the will of God? Oh, interesting. Male chauvinist. <laughs> what is the perfect will of God? Well, I'm not going to use that term because I think it's been misused, and unless we define it properly, it creates an impression that is destructive in our congregations today. When you start talking about the perfect will of God and being out of the will of God, I want to say something to you. You are never out of the will of God. You are never out of the will of God. Never in your lifetime are you out of the will of God. You say, wait a moment. Heresy. red light just went on up there. <laughs> Follow me now. If you are going to find the word teleos as that intrinsic philosophical perfection, then you are talking about a perfection that is ultimate and you are talking about a perfection that is positional in Jesus Christ. 
We are perfect in Christ. One day we will eternally be perfect in God's ultimate development program that we are brought to all that God developed us and designed us to be. In Christ we are perfect ultimately and eternally. One day we will know that eternal perfection. But the word perfect means teleos, a maturity, and in a practical way, it means that we are progressing and we are maturing in this life. Therefore, if I take the word of God as that eternal heavenly perfection, if I take it as that positionally one, I have difficulty finding the will of God in a maturing way in my struggling life. Suddenly I've missed God's perfect will, and I've had it. How many of you are even considering leaving the ministry, leaving Christian service because you believe you may have missed God's perfect will, and you have had it? That's one of Satan's greatest devices that he's using today to discourage Christians because Satan, remember, is an accuser of the brethren. What does he accuse them of? He reminds them how they have missed, how they have missed marks, how they have stumbled and fallen, and he accuses us. And he loves to say, man, you're out of God's will. Back to Ephesians. Chapter 1. You're going to wear out those pages back and forth. Verse 11. Did you read it? In whom, going back to the person of Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh, what? All things after the counsel of his own will. Do you know that the will of God and the plan of God includes everything that happens? Everything that occurs is in the plan of God. God just doesn't interrupt history at Bethlehem. God doesn't just interrupt history when a revival takes place. God isn't frustrated because Carter is elected. God is not frustrated. I didn't know there were any Democrats here. That's interesting. But it's amazing. I met Christians who thought they were ready to move to Canada because Carter had been elected. God's will somehow had been frustrated and was fraught with dangers and God was not in control. Listen, as you study the history of mankind, God is in control. He is a God who has ordained history. He's a God who controls history. He's the author of history. He's the author of every occurrence. And it's not blind fatalism. It is certainty, but it is done with mercy and kindness. It is done with a plan. It is done with the provision that he created man that he might know God. It was done with a plan that when man with that responsible, fully responsible action rebelled against God that he sinned and he became a sinner in thought, word, and deed. He became a rebel against God, a self-centered, self-referenced person. And God took that self-reference person and said, there is still hope for you. 
And God provided a redeemer. And from that seed that would bruise the serpent's heel, you trace a scarlet thread throughout the whole Bible. And the Bible ends with God in control because God's been in control from the very beginning of all things. Out of the character of God comes the will of God. Don't ever say that you're out of God's will. That eliminates God from the affairs of mankind. He raises up kings. He brings them down. He lifts the nation. He brings it down. Recognize and may it give you confidence of the will of God. Within that will of God, however, I want to draw a large triangle for you. I can't draw circles anymore because we keep aiming for the bullseye. And we've so drawn bullseyes that we have missed the concept of the will of God in our lives. Within that triangle of the will of God, recognize that all things consist by his counsel. And there is within the counsel of the will of God that which is good and acceptable and mature and there is that which is not good and there is that which is not pleasing and there is that which is not mature in the will of God. There is the acceptable will of God and there is the non-acceptable will of God. In the acceptable will of God, we will look at three divisions. Lifetime decisions, unique opportunities, and daily obedience. I heard it ring and just listen to this. Under your lifetime, there will be one opportunity you have in your life to remain pure in your body. If you break it, you have broken a lifetime decision. There is no way you can ever say, I'm going to go back and be pure. Once it's broken, it's broken. Are you out of the will of God? You're out of God's acceptable will. But are you finished for a lifetime? Are there no other lifetime decisions? Let's put another one. I say that I'm going to bring my children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Word of God. But I'm 50 years old. My children are raised. I didn't do it. Now I say, I want to bring them up in the nurture of God's Word. I can't do it. I had one opportunity. I failed. And when I failed in that lifetime decision, I lost it. But is that all of my life? Do I not yet have maybe the privilege to say, God, from here today, I'm going to be a faithful servant? Do I not have the opportunity to hear the Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant? You have kept the faith unto the end. You see, we have so limited the will of God to one item that we have failed to see our lifetime and suddenly the Apostle Paul says, I want you to know that you are accepted. You have been be mercied in the beloved. There is one part of the will of God. When you receive Christ, you will always have be mercied, accepted in the beloved. Oh, the will of God 
for your lifetime will encourage you that it's too soon to quit. I want to study tomorrow the life of Jeremiah and that it's too soon to quit. Thank you, Father, for your word to our hearts for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message David Burnham presented on the will of God at MBI Spiritual Emphasis Week in 1976. David Burnham was a senior pastor for 30 years and was a pastor and teacher with RBC Ministries on their television and radio programs. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.